Welcome to the Pity Party Podcast. I'm Rabia and I'm blind. I'm Rafia and I'm in a wheelchair. I'm Umaya I'm, and I am in a wheelchair too. This is our second episode and welcome. So Rabia, what are we talking about this week? Well, we're going to talk about the election. It happened. We talked a lot about it last week and we still have something to say about it as racialized Muslim women with disabilities. So girls, tell me, what did you think of the outcome? outcome i i think now that we have the you know the liberal government is back in office we need to hold them accountable for what they say they are going to do for people with disabilities yeah same. I think, yeah like people say that uh, oh what's the point of this uh, re-election when uh, like the result is the same it didn't change but it's i think it serves as a reassurance what Canadian really wants and what the landscape is in my view so yeah and I, I agree with you guys I think really we've been presented with an opportunity um, you know people are saying nothing changed but a lot did change and if there wasn't an election called today it would have been called tomorrow that's the reality of minority governments and minority governments as an outcome I think are positive for the people because this is when we force parties to cooperate with each other rather than get so sticky, icky, icky on their partisan issues. So three parties, like three, three, four major parties committed to doing something about supporting people with disabilities and in particular committed to income security or income support or the Canada Disability Benefit. Um, and I think we have to hold them accountable, especially uh, the NDP, the Greens and the Liberals. We need the Liberals to table that bill again for the Canada Disability Benefit and move on with it. So hello, Canada. We people with disabilities are ready to do the work it's going to take to make that happen. Yes, absolutely. For sure. <clears throat> So, so now today, you know, remember we called our show the Pity Party. Our podcast is the Pity Party. Our first episode was really well received. And I think we need to give people some pity. What do you think? Well, we want to get some pity, Rabian. That's the idea, right? Okay. All right. So let's let's work on that. So right. let's today I really want to tell our story through this series right so today we'll dive a little deeper into into who we are so um, first off let's let's introduce ourselves again uh, what do you guys what do you do in your professional lives Rafia and Omeya Omeya what do you do in your professional world oh okay I'm I'm originally like a computer programmer so I come from IT. Uh, background and uh, right now I'm like a, a senior cloud we call them cloud service managers for e-commerce so what I do I manage global projects um, for the supply chain so you guys go online and order your goods guess who does this behind the scenes <laughs> it's my team it depends right. like uh, on the account right so I have a team a global team that I lead 
and we do implementation and support and uh, reporting and project management and uh, all that good stuff worldwide. Well, she's, 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 a, she's a corporate mogul there. Okay, Rafia, what about you? I'm a community and engagement um, manager with uh, Dean Support Services. I work part-time with Dean, but it's not really part-time. It's like working 24-7, if you know what I mean. And I also am a, a coach, uh, a life coach, um, helping people to um, realize their full potential and to move on with their lives. So you're an entrepreneur as well. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I am uh, the CEO of Dean Support Services, and I'm also the National Director of Disability Without Poverty. And I often describe myself as a social entrepreneur or a systems disruptor. So we're going to talk about our stories today from the beginning, ladies. I like the second title, Ram. <laughs> systems disruptor. I well, really like the other one would, would have a couple of beeps in it. There's they, they, it's also an SH word, but, you know, we'll stick with systems disruptor. Well, that doesn't get you much pity, by the way. Like we should change that. <laughs> okay, okay. We're going to work on the pity. So let's rewind. Let's rewind okay. 50 years and more, okay? So the three of us have a lifetime of disability. We're in our 50s now. And, haha, I'm the youngest of the three. I'm proud to be. Um, but, rub it, but, rub it, rub it in. Well, when you reach 50, Rabbi, that's it. That's the benchmark. There okay, is no younger so, anymore. So you can say so, goodbye to but, that, right? So we're, hey, we're, hey, life, we're begin, life begins. I know, a different life, but you're not, you know, you don't. Freedom, freedom 50. Okay. So we young have. At heart, young at heart. Okay. We have all surpassed freedom 50. So let's rewind 50 years plus and talk yeah. about where our journey of disability started. So I'll be the guinea pig, I'll start, okay? So I'm born with an eye condition, it's called congenital Lieber's amaurosis. You know, it's such a, such a almost offensive word. <laughs> um, you know, just what a name, what a name, right? Um, anyway, so, it's a eye condition that exists on both sides of my family. You know, we in the South Asian context, uh, especially in rural communities, I was born in a little village, you know, in my grandma's house in, in her only solid brick room, you know, um, my mother used, uh, you know, was, was supported by a midwife. Um, so I used to joke, I had never spent a night in hospital until I had my children. Um, so I was born with this eye condition that existed on both sides of my family. My uncle had this eye condition. Um, it wasn't necessarily apparent, uh, to anybody off, off the cuff, right? But my mom noticed that, uh, when it got dark, I used to cry a lot. The dark really bothered me. And the dark probably had to do with the fact that I couldn't see that well in the dark. So the eye condition I have is recessive. It changes over time. So when I say I'm blind, that's like, you know, 35 years later, I say I'm blind. But I did grow up with some usable vision. And I never quite knew what it was until like a certain stage in my life. And we'll, we'll talk about that. But 
how did people figure out that I couldn't see that well? It was because, you know, my mom's gut instinct said, you know, why does she uh, look a certain way at this time? And, and you know, her eyes kind of move when she tries to look and she cries in the dark. Mm. And it was more than just fear. So that's where my journey started in my village of Didwal, Punjab, Pakistan, in my grandma's house, born with a disability. Mm. Rafia. Wow. Ooh, mine, 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 mine is a very interesting story, I would say. Um, <clears throat> takes you all the way back to Guyana. Guyana, not Ghana people, Guyana, South America. I know people always get the country mixed up. And, Make sure mix um, it up with your accent, honey. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we, um, it was, um, I was actually too small to get the vaccine. And when, by the time the public health officials came back, I already got um, polio. And what what, what happened was um, the day that it happened was the first day that I started walking, right? And um, my aunt was visiting and they were all so excited. Oh my God, I'm walking, right? And then in the nighttime, that's when I got a really, really hot fever. And the fever was so high and everybody wanted to know what was going on, right? And then they took me to they took me to the doctor, and every and my limbs started to you know just flow like there was no life in my arms, my legs, and everything was like it had my mom had a difficult time lifting me because everything was like going in all directions. My eyelids were not able to move. And it, it's, it's as if my whole body was uh, overtaken by this sort of paralysis. And then <clears throat> when she went to the doctor, the doctor said, are you bringing a dead child to me? That's how bad it was, right? SubhanAllah. And then anyways, it was only when they went to the hospital and they saw a, a whole bunch of other people having the same reaction with their children then they realize that something is wrong something is wrong not just only my child it's happening to um, other people and then they realized there was a huge huge outbreak in diana of polio and and um a lot of a lot of children died during that during that um, time yeah so that's my story how it all started oh my yeah yeah, yeah. similar. I think, Ravia, you and me have a similar story. I, I, I was one year old. I was just starting to walk. So very similar. Oh, and really? then I got a fever. And they thought I, I was just sick, right? So they took me to the doctor, checked my temperature, gave me medicine, whatever he gave at the time. I came home. And the second day, I couldn't move. Like it was a total paralysis, like like you mentioned, right? I couldn't even open my eyes. I couldn't. I have no control over all my body, right? And then I was sick for like three, four days or something like that. And then after that, it started like my eyes start working again. My body, you know. And then it came down to my legs. Like my legs, I wasn't able to walk at all. So they have to hold me, and uh, <clears throat> I couldn't hold myself up, right? And uh, but I got the vaccine. 
like uh, but uh, of course i i was born in a in a small town in lebanon on top of the mountain it's called karaon and it is in the west Bika valley and my guess is that the vaccine maybe the max the vaccine you know how the vaccine need to be handled a certain way so probably the vaccine was not effective it's not just for me like you say rafia exactly the same we have a lot of people uh, during that time with polio specifically. And some people actually died. And they did not know it was polio. Mm -hmm. Later on, like in life, I realized that I have polio. And mm -hmm. it was so much fun when I met the people with polio and they look exactly like me. That was so much fun <laughs> because finally, finally I felt like I belong, you know, because everybody else was different, right? So yeah. So yeah, you know, you know what's interesting, Umayya, was that in in Guyana they had a um, a, a center called the Polio Rehab Center, right? Yeah. And I actually spent a whole uh, my whole um, sort of childhood actually at that center yeah. because they kept me in the hospital for the longest while, and after the hospital they transferred me to this Polio Rehab Center, and that's where there was like a it's like a residential home kind of thing where. All you see is other people, you know, with polio yeah. and war, you know. So it was like, yeah. I met them. Actually, I met, I went to Arab Center, but I was like 13 at the time because, you know, my body, I used to work without crutches. Like I was able to work, mm -hmm. like walk without crutches and uh, lean on the friends and the brothers. I have so many brothers, you know, I'm number nine, you know, just in mm -hmm. the family. So, yeah, but eventually it became like I have to walk on my own. So they took mm -hmm. me to the rehab center, exactly mm -hmm. what you say. I spent there like a year and I met all of them, every shape, color, size, you name it, right? Age. <clears throat> and they, <laughs> it was really interesting, like experience. And I still have, some of them are still my friends from that on, on social media, right? We still connect some of them. Amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Similar experience, Rafia. It's interesting. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I was one year old too when, when that happened. Yeah, interesting. We have a lot in common than we thought, Rafi. Yeah, yeah, think about yeah. it this way, right? And you know, and, and, and people ask me, you haven't walked one day in your life? And I'm like, yes, I did one day. <laughs> you know? and, and and listen, you can add Rafia next time. I walked one day. I really didn't like it. It didn't appeal to me. So I went the other way. <laughs> Just say that. <laughs> right. The best way is honestly is to make a joke of it, right? And what are you going to do, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I say, sometimes now I say it's really a privilege to have a disability because it costs a lot at all fronts. Like, you know, you need a wheelchair, you need crutches, you need, you need, you need, you need like a lift for your van, you need. So it is a privilege in a way. You have to, you know, afford it. It's not something. <laughs> you know, well, you know, what's interesting, though, but in Guyana, my mom, she didn't, we couldn't afford like a, a wheelchair kind of thing. Yeah. So she, she used to take me in, you know, one of those proms, like um, the baby proms. like Yeah. And that's what she used to do. And at, at times she used to lift me and take me to the bus. We had no cars or anything that, you yeah. know, we, we privately own or anything like that. And people would look at her. Why are you lifting her? She's I such know. a big girl. Why are you lifting her? I you know? know? Oh, if time, if time permits, I have stories for you about how I lived. <laughs> Imagine I live in a small town. Everybody knows everybody, right? And it's just honestly, I, it's like I, I can relate I, they used to carry me because I'm a slow walker, of course. I have polio, right? <laughs> so they carry me. So after a while, when I start getting heavy, they get sick of me. I'm not allowed to go anymore. Right? <laughs> so I had to. Well, so here's a unique thing about you guys, right? I'm, I'm sitting here listening attentively. So 
Rafia walked one day of her life and then couldn't walk anymore. But you continued to walk, Umaya. Right? Yeah, yeah. With, with, with a little yeah. help, but you continued yeah. to walk right. for a very long time. And yeah. and the interesting piece of our journeys is, I mean, the disabilities were acquired so early for both of you. Like I was born with it, but you guys acquired it in infancy. So it's it's very much so an entire life. It's not a loss that you necessarily felt. It was a for for you and me, Omaya. It was a gradual change over time. Yeah, it was never perfect, but it was a gradual change right. with our disability. Rafia, mm -hmm. for you, it was the same, or or did it change over yeah. time? Well, um, it, what happened is the is the level of independence you get with with the assistive devices you get, right? Because at the beginning of my you know of my polio, I had no sort of assistive devices, and you couldn't. That means that you, every single thing I did was from myself i crawled i creeped i do whatever it is to move from point a to point b right that's how it was and uh, later on as i as i got a manual wheelchair i was able to go to school right that that's what took me <coughs> then and then later on when i came to canada i got a powered wheelchair and that was like independence look you know? at the privileges look at the privileges right power that was like that was amazing and it was like wow yeah. i could actually do I what i want to do whenever and however i wow. want to do it and that was amazing you don't have someone pushing you you know yeah. That was um, yeah. They, they use actually on on sunny days. I used to walk to school when I was, mm -hmm. you know, young, like as far as like seven years old. Mm -hmm. But uh, on winter days, because I can't, I'm slow walker, obviously. Mm -hmm. So they carry me, or they find. They, I didn't have a wheelchair, and even a wheelchair does not work in the mountain. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Every whole ditch in the road is the size of the wheelchair, right? So good luck <laughs> with that. And there's no sidewalk. Actually, there is no curbs. The whole thing is curbs, right? Like, it's like forget about it. <laughs> they have no sad. Honestly, the way I grew up, I, I don't. This is why I think I learned at an early age to skip a lot of details, like focus on what can I do? Because the exactly. thing I couldn't do, we're out exactly. of this world, right? So mm -hmm. it's like there's really, there's no way out, right? Like yeah. you have to be very resourceful. You have to focus on what you can do, right? Exactly. Even even going to school. Yeah. Was school. The, 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 the head teacher would say, oh, no, people are going to push her down. How yeah. she's going to go to the walkthrough? Yeah. You know, yeah. all these things. There were yeah. so many insurmountable barriers for me getting to school. Absolutely. And when, when I look at other people who had polio or who had disabilities in our village, you know, they were kept at home. It was like a taboo yeah. to talk about it. And, and um, they were just not given the opportunity to go to school. Yeah, yeah. the harsh reality is, honestly, I was, because I went to school and I'm, I'm so forever thankful for my mom, may God rest her soul, and for my dad. I mean, they really believed in education. Like, they won't let me yeah. go to school for kindergarten. I wasn't allowed because too, too, too small, too young, and scary, and they think I'll be pushed, whatever. So my, bo my dad got the curriculum from the school and my mm. mom taught me at home so look at homeschooling wow. yes homeschooling. so my mom taught me everything multiplication addition subtract like math english um like uh, arabic language the whole curriculum she taught me at home i only Absolutely. went when i was seven years old so mm. they put me first day in kindergarten second day you know grade one grade two and then they put me in my grade right because wow. i memorized the whole curriculum right wow. I, I ended up 
I ended up coming here. You know, my father. How old were you when you came to Canada? Chose to come to Canada. I came here at the age of four. Oh, so I came here very young, mm -hmm. right? And my parents took me to, you know, sick kids hospital to, to the low vision clinic. And I was like a textbook specimen. They were fascinated because the eye condition I have is so rare. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, they documented my, my um, sort of, you know, family tree and stuff in their, in their books. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I was fitted with glasses and I was sent home and, and wow, like I was amazed at how well I could see with the glasses, right? Like suddenly things were crisp and brighter and clearer and television was my best friend, you know? Um, but what was interesting was the fact that I also didn't end up in school. Mm. until I was almost eight years old. Oh, wow. My parents brought their lived experience from the village. You know, mm -hmm. my uncle, who had the same eye condition, the story my parents carried with them here was that my uncle went to the school in the village up until grade five and his vision deteriorated and the school said his vision will get worse the more he tries. Like, you know, out of the... With the best of intentions, they didn't understand the eye condition, right? Mm -hmm. So they asked my grandmother to take him home, and my grandmother took him home kicking and screaming. And my parents carried that experience with them and didn't want to put me through that. And the system here, you know, us being racialized newcomers in the early set, like, you know, early to mid 70s. Um, they didn't question anything about me going to school. There was no social worker who sat down with my parents and explained my eye condition or said, you know, this is really visual impairment and is going to lead to blindness or anything like that. Like, nothing like that was explained. So mm -hmm. I wasn't put in school. I sat at home, watched a lot of television and taught myself, you know. Good I for you. Yeah. I, I taught myself English. I taught myself fat account. I taught myself the alphabet because my mom grew up in a village where she was denied access to education as a woman. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she couldn't teach me. She was too busy taking care of my brothers who also have disabilities. Mm -hmm. um, I was the oldest and I was the only one born outside of Canada. But um, I spent a lot of time watching shows like the Dick Van Dyke show, Happy Days. Uh, Happy Days, uh, right. You know, Romper Room. Romper Mr. Room. Dress Up, Sesame Street. The Price is Right. Price is Right. I like that show. Yeah, yeah. I watched all these shows yeah. and Gilligan's Island and I mastered the language. I learned my alphabet. I learned how to count. One day somebody said to my dad, how come she's not in school? This is Canada. You need to take her to the local school. So my father took me to the local school. It was dark and dingy. They assessed me and they still, you know, my father said, you know, she has poor eyes and she wears glasses. That was how he could describe it. And the school psychologist assessed me and ended up put me, putting me in a learning disability class because I didn't do well on his uh, silly little but what, is, and, what and, is the psychological assessment has to do with, with low vision? Well, because I couldn't see stuff, so I couldn't read it. And he assumed I was in, you know, I had some cognitive difficulties. Yeah. yeah. I, I can really Until they figured out a couple yeah. of years later that it was really vision loss. 
You know, that I is so relate. common for people with disabilities. Absolutely. I think, that, I think honestly, look, and the stigma continue. Let me tell you guys, and this is how I see it. Even now, when people see you the first time, whether you have a disability, like a wheelchair or crutches or what have you, people, I feel, are hesitant to talk to you because they are afraid you may have like an intellectual disability too, right? Like, honestly, this is the assumption. Like, I could be, okay, if I have, like, there, I feel like there is this barrier, like they don't want to, you know, they'd rather not like talk to you or disturb you, for example, right? Like mm -hmm. this is how I look at it. Sorry for using these words, but that's how I feel. And I feel honestly us like having these talks and showing people, we, okay, we are people too. Like we're exactly the same. Yes, mm -hmm. my legs don't work. And I used to say in Lebanon, like when I grew up and I want to make fun, they say, oh, what's wrong with your legs? Like the people, right? What's wrong with your feet? I say, I thank God every day that I, people don't think with their feet because I will be at a huge <laughs> loss. <right? laughs> I turn it into, because I don't want to explain, right? Because I feel like if I explain, I say, look, guys, I pull you and I can walk and I can, I lose them. Like they go like, you know, feeling pity for me. I remember that time I did not want the pity, right? So mm -hmm. I just turn it into something like that, right? To make, make fun of it, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah. You know, you know, when you said that people don't want to talk to you, I, yeah. I never forgot this is um, this incident. We were, my husband and I, we were at the airport, right? And I wanted to go to the washroom really badly. So mm -hmm. I asked the woman at this, where's the washroom, right? And she turns to my husband and she goes, oh, you have to go this way and that way. Hey, turn this way and turn that way. I said to her, um, is that a men's washroom or a woman's washroom? <laughs> you know, <laughs> because I don't know which one she was, you know, describing, you know. They know. They refused no. to I have a similar story. Right? Hey, <laughs> hey, girls, girls, yep. save yep. it for the next episode. Okay, I'll give you it. All right. So, 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 you know, we we got lots of stories like that to tell, and we'll we'll get to those stories as well. But when we were when we were kids, and and our families figured out this disability, how how did your parents treat you? How did they feel about it? Mm -hmm. I think. I think my parents in our house, I was really normal. Like they, I didn't feel the difference except for the things like I couldn't, we're farmers, right? My father is a farmer, so I couldn't ha carry heavy stuff. So I was excused from that because my father has a system in the house for everybody what to do. Uh, I really did not feel uh, the, the disability that much, right? In the house. Mm -hmm. So I went to public school, my father had good relationship with the principal and the teachers and because he has nine is like 11 kids so of course he's gonna know the school inside out right so um and i'm number nine so by the time he come to me everything established right i just have to follow you know that so no i did not really feel uh the like i felt a bit but i did not feel they were so proud of me they focused on what i can do and they gave me tasks that i can do and they were proud of me like if i make bread and it's not good my father will say the bread that she make is mine nobody allowed to touch it so imagine oh. how i feel i feel like a million bucks right and i want to make more bread he was smart so you know what i mean to do that so because you want me to do is an amazing cook by the way right. so yeah so it's like i learned i mean yeah if you learn if you live with 11 rabia and they're all brothers and you know brothers god bless their souls i have two sisters but they married and moved to canada the first they're the oldest and then the boys then me right and there's two boys after me so 
they begged me to make sandwiches for them, my brothers, right? And that's why I, I, I had to learn, right? So I don't make one minute sandwich. I have to make six, seven, ten, right? They're boys, right? They want to eat. So they bring the stuff to me because I can't reach, obviously, and I can't. So I say, bring this, bring this, bring this. So I was like, you know, that guy, like Matt, just say what to bring, and they trusted me. So they bring it, and I give them the best sandwiches. So they, so yeah, like going back to the question, Rabia, I really didn't feel at home. But it hit me hard when I turned like sixteen. Okay, so we'll, we'll we'll get to that. We'll yeah. get to that. Same for the next next episode. Okay, right. Rafia, what about you? For me, my parents were extremely extremely supportive. Were, were you the said, oldest? No, I was in. I'm like number six of nine. You know. And there's so, a nine thing going on here. I'm nine from eleven. Look at that. Okay, <laughs> I'm six from nine. I'm one of four. <laughs> Good. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I actually learned advocacy from them, to be honest. And for every single thing in my life, they had to advocate for, right? And um, I, I see how they do it. I learned so much from them. Very, very supportive. When we would have, like, family meetings and things like that, we all had an equal voice. And it was like, you know, I remember one time when my opinion counted so much and I felt so, oh my God, you know, my head was like swelling so big. I felt so good that my dad actually took my um, my suggestion and, and went with that. So yes, um, in, in the house, in terms of duties, I was not, I was exempt from duties. But when, when my dad came home, he said, well, so what did you do today? Um, and then, you know, I, I love to read. So I'd always be picking up some book and read. And, and one time I remember this when my, when my dad came to me and said, what did you read today? What did you learn you know, from your books? I said, face your enemy with a smile. And he was like watching me. You know, it was like so funny, you know. And anyways, so yes, for me, it was like um, the values that they give me in terms of leadership and, and, and advocacy it's actually something that I carry through in my life, you know, uh, as I got older. I think I think that's common. I, I think my, you know, sort of determination, drive, advocacy comes from my mom. My mom did not have opportunities, but she wasn't a quitter. She fought for things. You know, she's a strong person. Yeah. Um, she didn't have it. My parents didn't have a choice. You know, I, I was the oldest of four. And all four of us have disabilities. So, um, you know, I have vision loss. My sister has vision loss. We uh, had two brothers between us with varying degrees of developmental disabilities. So, you know, I ended up being, uh, you know, th that voice that advocated for my parents coming, you know, being, being an immigrant uh, family um, and being the one, the one who learned the language I ended up being their advocate uh, and, and they gave me that space to do that. They supported me in every which way they could, you know, uh, driving me to school, getting me whatever I needed, um, not necessarily helping me with homework, but, you know, they did everything else for me. My father was too busy working. And like I said, my mother didn't have the literacy skills to be able to support me in, in learning goals, but she supported me in every other way possible throughout my life. And on that note, that's the end of the pity party today. Yeah, we have to wrap it up today. Well, we yeah. didn't have any pity, Rabia. What is that? I don't know. Let's wait for reactions. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We dumped all our we dumped all our stories today, girls. Let's see what people are gonna have to say. 
Yeah, I understand. All right. I understand. All right. So tune okay. in next time for the next episode of The Pity Party. And we'll keep you guessing as to what we're going to share next. Okay. Thank you so All much. Right. Thank you.